Hello, everybody. Welcome to Azizi Podcast. Uh, today we are discussing the network state again. This is a second episode of our series on the network state. And my guest today is Nicholas Anzinger. Nicholas Anzinger is the host of Stranded Technologies Podcast. He is also a founder and general partner of Infinita Found, which is based in the startup city of Prospera. We're going to be discussing startup cities as well on this podcast. Before we start, please don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also other platforms that you're currently using to listen to this podcast. And of course, don't forget to rate us with thumbs up and five-star reviews. Thank you. All right, everybody. Nicholas Anzinger. How are you, brother? How are you doing? Great, man. How are you? <laughs> it's so great, man. Internet is amazing. I literally like was telling you the other day how I found you. And it's basically by just following a hashtag network state on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden you came up with your post and with your episode on that subject. So that's just random. But how cool is that? Here we are. <laughs> so, Nicholas, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What are you up to right now? How come you are interested in, in the network state and uh, what are you working on? Sure. My name is Nicholas. Originally, I'm from Germany. Right now, I'm nomadic. I'm dividing my time between Honduras, Mexico City, and the United States, together with my wife, who's American. And I'm currently based on the island of Roatan, Honduras, where there's an interesting network state slash startup city. You might talk a bit about the distinctions. That is called Prospen. And I decided to start a VC fund there that's focusing on companies that gain special regulatory advantages through um, network states, charter cities, wherever they can find better regulatory or legal options. And how this came about was really two trends in my life coming together. Like two and a half years ago, two things happened. I left a job that I felt I had reached a peak in. I was in a very successful startup as an early employee and VP. I've created a new business line from scratch that led to a series B valuation, but I felt I wasn't progressing and I had to do my own thing. And second was I met my now wife shortly before the pandemic. We met in New York City and we just really hit it off, but we couldn't see each other. I was in Berlin, she was in New York City and the pandemic, because the pandemic was happening and all flights were canceled. So we decided we want to do this, right? Sure. So as soon as there's a country that lets us in, we're going to cancel everything we have and go to travel and become nomadic together and create and fulfill our dreams, which wow. was to create our own businesses. Right. So this That's, happened. That, okay. Well, I'm just going to stop you right there and just tell you like how crazy that is and how amazing that both of you just decided to do that. And it's just, I feel like it takes a lot of guts to do that. Like, wow, sir, that's, that's amazing. I felt like it was a time to take risks and make decisions. Wow. Was that scary at all? Like, were you guys scared or was it just like... I was kind of not scared from day one, simply because I had so much conviction. I was like, she's the one to do this with. She seems as excited as I am to do this. And it's like when you want to found a company or start something new, it's good to have at least one true path. And as soon as you have that, I think you're, you're, you get bolder. You're willing to take more risks as long as there's at least one person that's by your side. I completely agree with you. That's And that's something that I hope will inspire a lot of listeners and viewers right now as well. So where did you end up moving? 
Mm -hmm. So we haven't fully moved here yet, but right now I am in Roatan, in Honduras. We're going to buy an apartment here, a condo that is currently being built in the jurisdiction of Prospera. We're going to be there probably four to six months out of the year. The rest of our time, we probably spend in Mexico City, which is a place we love. But we're also going to travel around more in Latin America, which is where I want to find and attract companies um, to the advantages we have here. We really like Guatemala. We really like Miami. We want to check out Puerto Rico. So we're going to stay part nomadic. That's so cool. Um, you, you've mentioned Prospera. And you said that you started a VC fund in Honduras. Can you kind of connect those two factors together and let me know like what is Prospera and like how are you involved in that? Yeah, sure. So again, going back to the two of us wanting to realize our dreams and take risks, like take the biggest possible swings we could possibly take. And I was thinking, what could that be? And initially I thought it would be in healthcare because it was COVID happening. We were all learning how many problems we have in our healthcare system. And my idea originally was to build like an open source platform for medical data. So researchers around the world, data scientists could work together on solutions using publicly available open source data sets. And I think it's a neat thing. Some people are working on that, but I think there are there is a problem that we wouldn't be solving, which is the whole regulatory side, right? So it takes, it costs upwards of 1 billion to develop a new drug. It takes like 10 to 12 years. Right, We were somewhat lucky developing the vaccines or getting them to market in one year, but it also could have been way faster right? because we had the technology to develop these vaccines within one weekend. The first Moderna vaccine was developed in January 2020, over one wow. weekend. Well, I didn't know that. That's yeah, it's mind-blowing, right? Uh -huh. So that gave me the insight. There's so much technology out there that is not seeing the light of the day because of overregulation, because of bureaucracy and because of red tape. And as soon as I heard about Prospera, I was like, hmm, that's the solution. So you have a different regulatory approach. It's not default no, you need to lobby us for years to get what you want. Instead, there's a so-called regulatory choice model. So you adopt the regulation of any country that fits you best. So for example, if the insurance regulation in Singapore works best for you or in Norway, you can do an insurance company and prosper under that regulation and you can even write your own regulation if you think you can mm -hmm. put together a better regulatory framework from different countries around the world so i was like wow we could realize all sorts of technology there that's hard or impossible to build elsewhere uh -huh. and that's when i was like i gotta check this out this sounds too good to be true and i came there and i was like wow you guys really exist <laughs> that was my first reaction uh-huh and it had oh, that's a, really, a good sign. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> had a really world-class team. Eric Ryman and Gabriel Delgado, the two founders, are world-class entrepreneurs. And they have very thoroughly thought through how the regulatory and legal system would work. They have worked for years on getting sort of the political buy-in in Honduras, the regulatory approval to do what they set out to do. And they've already tr attracted a nascent community of other really great entrepreneurs that are setting up shop. So for example, there's a company here called Mini Circle and its founder, Mick Davis, he's already funded by Peter Thiel and Sam Altman. And mm, he's working on cutting stuff. edge. Yeah, exactly. He's working on cutting edge beam therapy. 
that is sort of in the longevity space. So you said gene this, therapy. Exactly. Like CRISPR stuff. Yeah, but it's different than CRISPR. It's something that he says is even better. Uh-huh. And he can develop it here um, together with a clinic that's approved by IRB, which is a regulatory body that can collect data that is auditable by the FDA, right? So they can do the clinical trials in Prosper for a fraction of the cost and already um, give their product to people, sell their product through medical tourism. Hold on a second. I'm just going to stop you right I know we're here to talk about network state, but it's actually so fascinating what you're saying right now. So uh, you said you've mentioned a regulatory body. Uh, is that a regulatory body of Honduras that approves that? Mm-hmm. Okay, no. so oh, yeah, go, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, so Prospera has full autonomy when it comes to legal and business law, uh, when it comes to civil and business law, right? They don't have autonomy when it comes to criminal law, right? They're part of the sovereign country of Honduras. But they're allowed to make their own labor regulation, their own industry regulation, their own tax system, right? Mm-hmm. But like, okay, so let me then try to like, I'm trying to understand this, like the, the actual juice about the whole thing. It's just like, so you cannot do clinical trials quickly in, let's say, countries like United States with a US, like FDA approval. You have to go to all like, uh, how do you call them? One, two, three clinical, uh, clin- clinical trial uh Stage one, stage two, stage three. I, I, I actually used to work in clinical trial industry for I was a finance manager for a, a gastroenterology clinical trial site. Anyways, uh, okay, and so that all a lot of bureaucracy takes a lot of time. So basically, you say like, you know what? I'm not gonna like do the whole trial in the United States jurisdiction. I'm gonna go to another country, uh, and I'm gonna use the services of a of a company such as Prospera, will, which will give me a legal kind of like a foundation and basis to start the whole thing, start a clinical uh, trial on the, on like a legal basis within that country. Uh, any sort of countries, Honduras or anything else. And based on that, I will streamline my processes. And let's say I'll do trials uh, in those countries. Um, am I am I so far on track here? Yeah, um, just with, to get to caveat that, to get access to the market in the United States. That was about my, my next question. Yeah, yeah. So how do you do yeah. that? So you would have to then go to the FDA. Right, so you're only solving sort of clinical one, uh, stage one and earlier, mm-hmm. right, which gives you more shots on goal. And you can get to do these trials quicker and you save on a lot of um, application fees simply. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you I don't know exactly how much it was, but there's like application fees of like 50,000, 100,000 yeah. to just do some of these phase one clinical trials. Phase right? one, yeah, yeah. Exactly, so for a you know startup, that's you know a lot of money. <laughs> All right, so you so, get more shots and goal in the early stages, but for the later stages, you still you, need... You go back to the US. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're basically developing the whole thing, you're building up the foundation, and you're going through the whole phase one of everything, and you're saving a bunch of money on the whole research, and doctors and like uh, startup pharmaceutical companies and all of that, saving all that money by developing a stage one drug, uh, a clinical trial somewhere in a developing world country, and then once they have whole legal basis that is kind of like on point, going back to the FDA, United States jurisdiction, applying for the whole thing, United States says, okay, this this looks good, this looks on par, everything is regulated, and we are okaying that. You can continue your work in the United States, and by that, by not doing your work in the United States or let's say Europe somewhere, but in uh, South America or like any other country, you basically saved yourself a sh- shitload of money, and uh, you can now continue with uh, with your 
uh, exactly. Venture. And okay. this is just one example or something that the first company is trying to do it that way that I think aligns very well with the crypto and blockchain movement, which is around building better legal and financial guardrails, right? So you basically have a decentralized way to make a currency, a decentralized way to eventually do clinical trials. Which is amazing, an amazing segue. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I, I actually said at one point and I was like, how do I implement a blockchain technology in a clinical trial? Um, in a clinical trials itself, again, because I had some experience on that and I physically reviewed like uh, cases and, 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 and patients charts and all of that. And I was like, how can I put that all on the blockchain, but at the same time, not do it for the sake of hype, but for the sake of actual utility. And to be honest, maybe I'm not an engineer, so I couldn't like actually put my like my finger on that. But I, I actually reviewed a couple papers online, like people do do think about that and they're trying to develop some things. But uh, yeah, I still haven't found like an actual explanation. How can we utilize blockchain technology for clinical trial? I, what I'm thinking about is like patient's data, making sure that it's all decentralized and... and uh, but at the same time, I'm like, well, we can just create it like a like what you're trying to do, the, the global database for, you know, for, for pharmaceuticals. I know something like that's being done for brain. Anyways, I'm talking gibberish here. Patents. Patents. Say, say mm -hmm. more. Say more. So I had someone on my podcast yesterday. His name is um, Sava Kedemanidis. He's from crowdfundedcures.org, and he's developing a so-called IP NFT. Right, so um, that together with a healthcare outcome focused fund can basically fund clinical trials um, for right now generic drugs and sort of have the ownership of the patent on the blockchain. Right, this way you can have a more liquid market for buying and selling shares in that legal construct. Right, and this way it becomes easier to fund clinical trials outside of the traditional, the mainstream system. That is just so fascinating. I definitely want to get back to that at some point and like research more. I feel like just the, the whole uh, inability to replicate certain things in business itself through blockchain technology, like just the, the cryptographically like approved certificates or, or contracts, or in, in this case, you know, IP uh can definitely be beneficial but since we're talking about this whole thing you know the cryptography and blockchain and uh and prospera and you moving around the world and being a digital nomad let's talk about uh crypto uh let's talk about network state uh crypto uh cryptocurrency and balaji srinivasan um how long have you been in crypto and how did you find out about balaji srinivasan's book uh the network state to be honest, probably not for that long. I mean, I've tangentially followed it on the sidelines, but I didn't connect it yet to taking some of the big swings that I wanted to, right? I mean, in the end, we want to change the healthcare system. We want to change real estate. We want to change energy. We want to change education. How do you do that with blockchain technology? I kind of saw the potential there, but I found currencies, you know, a somewhat interesting use case, but it didn't blow my mind. I also found NFTs digital, which is currently used for digital arts. You know, it's interesting, but it didn't blow my mind yet. Now with sort of the legal base layer of society, right? Sort of, I see now where this is going. And I think through Balaji's book that gave me sort of the final kick. Oh, now I'm getting it. Now I can connect sort of the possibilities of te technology to creating that large scale disruption. 
So I'm going to read you a definition, one of the definition of a network state as outlined in Srinivasan's book. Uh, this is a one sentence um, description and I've read it before on my podcast, but I just want to like for the uninitiated to uh, to voice it, to basically put it out there so that everyone knows the context. And then we can dis- uh, continue this discussion. And so the quote goes as follows, and it's a definition of a network state. Um, and I quote, a network state is a social network with a moral innovation, a sense of national consciousness, a recognized founder, a capacity for collective action, an in-person level of civility, an integrated cryptocurrency, a consensual government limited by social smart contract, an archipelago of crowdfunded physical territories, a virtual capital, and an on-chain consensus that proves a large enough population income and real estate footprint to attain a measure of diplomatic recognition. So kind of a, a wordy one. He he sort of provides like a shorter ones and the longer ones. This one is kind of like goes towards like the, the end of this book after Balaji already talks about the whole uh, premise of what is a nation state and all of that. And I'm not, and I'm not going to get in uh, to all of those definitions for those who want to uh, learn more about it. They should listen to your podcast on the network state and also just read the book itself. Um, but with this uh, definition, what do you think is the most uh, important thing that you kind of gathered this nugget of information that you kind of clicked with you and that, you you know, inspired you to do something? Uh, and uh, how do you start a network state in the current environment? So those are my first two questions. And then I just want to discuss one thing in particular with you, but we'll go further into it. Mm-hmm. Two particular ones stand out for me, probably for different reasons. One is the moral innovation, and the other one is the, um, I think, something that you said about census and income and mm-hmm. and collecting that amount, that data. I think the last one is a bit simpler to answer because that's when it dawned to me to what's possible with blockchain, what Balaji calls on-chain truth. Right, so you have one kind of ledger of transactions. You have one sort of layer of definitions, and mm-hmm. um, so you can basically, you know, write a history that's not written by the winners. Right? I was about to say that it was it was an interesting concept that he, um, well, he kind of brought up this uh, this thought. It's not like a new thing or anything, but it is right. It's a saying: history is written by the winners, and uh, he brought, he brings out a lot of examples of that. How do we trust the history? Well, we don't really know what happened. We just know of people who won something, what they told. So what would the history look like in a network state? Could you elaborate on that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the history would... Not sure how to answer it. Can you specify the question or rephrase so, what you were let, thinking? Yeah, let me, let me, I guess, let, let me start this chain of thought. And uh, so, the for example, when we say, you know, a history, who is it written for, right? It's written by people who killed other people and there's no one to say something against them. That's where they can say whatever they want. So everywhere that they're messed up, everywhere that they were immoral, unethical, uh, cheating, uh, maybe some bad things, evil things, they can cover up. And in your podcast, you brought up that example about, you know, the Stalin picture where they removed the guy uh, from the picture just because they didn't like him. So they just removed him from the history. So a lot of things like that happened uh, around the world. And Balaji in his book brings a lot of examples about that. In the cryptographic world, uh, when we talk about 
and 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 the same true is with transactions banking transactions you know money laundering and stuff like that it also kind of like you when when you launder money you remove the history right you remove the history of the origin of the money uh how i see um on chain events it's it's simply uh something is being put on the event is being put on the block as how it happened um uh, and and that pretty much is going to be the truth but i'm always kind of, i'm struggling to like know how like different events such as historical events or factual events would be registered on the blockchain i do understand the concept of like a ledger right the bitcoin like that's what it's being used right now bitcoin's history is the is the ledger of like uh money transfers right you you send me this i send you this money you send me this bitcoin and all of that is on the ledger and it's all decentralized and you can never change it what do we do like with that technology but for like day-to-day life how do we use it that's what yeah. i'm yeah i get at. it so um to mention something before the whole blockchain on truth thing i think the one thing that's so interesting about network states is that from day one the first transaction is voluntary right so you're voluntarily opting in through a, to a real social contract right so prosper for example has an actual written social contract you agree to these rules to this charter then you can become an e-resident or full resident of this place right and you know in, in political theory there's something like social contract theory where we're kind of assuming there's a social contract, which is why the state has the right to do certain things that we might not like. In reality, nobody has ever seen or signed a social contract, right? Mm -hmm. It's not been done voluntarily. Network states or charter cities, you know, from day one, the first transaction, the opt-in is voluntary, right? And, you know, in that contract, you basically specify certain rules, certain way of doing things, you know, one network mm -hmm. state um, might be just fully have their own currency and you can trade in that currency and you have a ledger of transactions of what happened and mm -hmm. you have a certain class of events defined. It might be like a trade registry that says, oh, you provided that services to that person and you were incorporated in this. So this could look like very dense in terms of the data and information that you collect on each other, or it could be more hands-off, right? So hey, the government or the city operator or the network state founder operator is not responsible for these kinds of business transactions. Mm -hmm. We let others, we let private services do that, but we maintain kind of a registry of, um, I don't know, it could look, uh, there's different ways how it could look like, right? Yeah, and 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 by no means I'm I'm telling you invent a network state for me right now in five seconds. So obviously that's something that Balaji offers for everyone to sort of think about and try to uh, try to come up there with their own version of of a network state. Um, what what comes to my mind is always this, and I discussed it before on my podcast. Is is like a day to day operations. Like uh, let's say you would like to open a company. Or let's say you'd like to, you know, sell something or put something on 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 the blockchain, uh, but while you are a member of this network state and all those things. Or let's say you have a dispute with the counterparty, like over some sort of a business transaction, and you would like to like review uh, the chain of events that uh, led to that, which is absolutely no hearsay. It's going to be all of my actions are on my blockchain. And all of your actions or the counterparty that I'm in conflict with is on their blockchain. And so based on that, there is truly a factual kind of a, 
um, I would say a resolution that can take place based on some sort of, a, let's say, one commandment or any sort of rules and uh, regulations. Anyway, so th those are the kind of things that are very powerful and they're very scary because, again, a network state is not being backed by violence as in like an idea, right? It's being backed by voluntarily opting in or opting out. And that is why, but the whole power of that is that why there is no violence is because there's truth to that. There's no, there's no, like, I need, I don't need to convince anyone that my ideas are better than yours uh, because my ideas are basically have a track record that is put on the blockchain, something like that. Anyways, this, this can be like going for a long time. One thing I really wanted to talk to you about though is creating something in real world that you can claim ownership to uh, while you are uh, because of your membership of a network state as in my example I've mentioned the archipelago of like real land or like real estate how do you see this happening I feel like you guys in Honduras are doing something like that you've mentioned that um, you're buying an apartment in the jurisdiction of of uh, Prospera and then you've mentioned startup societies and and how this can lead to it can you speak a little bit more on that and how this can relate to the network state yeah so how do you start a network state i, I would say there are broadly two different models that my friend zach caceres has called the platform model and the product model right so when you read balaji's book that's something more like the product model for a network state and when you read or when you go to the model that someone like Petri Friedman or to some degree also Paul Romer, the originator of the idea of charter cities have developed that's more like a platform city, right? Mm -hmm. So Prospera, where I am, is more like a platform city. That means it's sort of the base layer of society. It provides laws, it provides land, it provides regulation, it provides government services. And citizens, people kind of sit on top and do business and trade and transactions and things, right? Another examples would be Talent City in Nigeria, for example. The product model is more about sort of that moral innovation, right? So Balaji specifically says, or gives examples, what if you have like a keto cult, right? You have a group of right. people that can gather around this one idea how to improve society. So we all go keto. Mm -hmm. um, so that network state is delivering more product around that key moral innovation. It kind of fills that gap that you have in your life right? around that one need or that one moral innovation. Mm -hmm. So I think these two other examples for this would be Afropolitan or City Dao or Kevin. I think these come close to that, right? So Afropolitan, for example, they are a um, digital African nation. Right. So they have Africans from around the world, from Africa, but also those that live in other countries. And they're like, hey, our governments aren't providing the service for us that we need. So, for example, if you have an African student in the Ukraine, that person can't emigrate to Europe. Right. And nobody's helping. So if we had like a digital African nation with our ability to issue passports, for example, or have like a digital or eventually a physical embassy that could get that person or member out of it. That, that's kind of the dream or the aspiration, which I think is brilliant. And I think these two models, platform and products can be complementary, right? There's not necessarily one or the other, 
there we can speculate because these are very nascent developments right which one is better for what purpose or how to stuff the i think the key idea of the product model or Balaji's ambition with proposing that idea is to make it easier and cheaper to start right so the platform model kind of requires you to start with diplomatic recognition it's almost the reverse of Balaji, right so you first have a piece of land that government allows you to use to have like special economic zone status on that piece of land mm -hmm. and then you can develop it around it so the advantage is it starts from legitimacy it starts with a certain level of economy like prosper the disadvantage is it's more expensive right? it requires real estate development it requires years of diplomatic um of lobbying yeah of lobbying governments right and so, Balaji's products um, network state doesn't require them. You can start with almost no cost with this moral innovation with a Discord server and with basically starting a DAO. So, okay, so let's do like a little mental exercise on starting a DAO or starting like, let, let, so here's my kind of like a fantasy. At the same time, it's not, it's already a written concept and a lot of people already know about this concept. Let's say we are, in, uh, I'm not even going to say a network state for now because network state, again, like it's, uh, even if we'll take Balaji's formula, it's like all the way to the diplomatic recognition and it's like way too far away. But let's say we have a startup society contained of like 10,000 Discord members and we're all like, um, there is like an actual DAO that is created and the DAO has uh, its own kind of a tokenomics um, situation going on and everyone, you know, who wants to buy in, they need to buy a certain amount of tokens and, and all of that. And so the cash from, uh, from that buy-in from all the users who would like to participate is being invested, let's say, into a actual real world, real world acres of land, like several acres of land somewhere in Latin America or Central Asia. Uh, how do you see this happening? Is, do, do you think that, I don't even know if this actually already happened or not, but wouldn't that be a cool idea? And uh, does the, doesn't that sound like something that would go along with the network state? Let's say, let's say they buy this land, they create a DAO, and the DAO has like a subsidiary, which would be like an actual like real world LLC that can be able to like get into the partnership to buy, to buy actual land as a legal entity of certain government. And then, but based on, but the whole LLC is being ruled by the DAO, which is being ruled by its internal policies uh, that are being ruled by, let's say, like 90% consensus through token holders. Is that something that can be attainable right now, do you think? And, and uh, I don't know, uh, continue my thought. Like, what do you think about that? Because, mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. I mean, to some degree has already happened with CityDAO, right? So CityDAO has bought land in Wyoming. Right, and in Wyoming, they recognize DAOs as a legal entity. I don't know the specific details of that, but that would, I think that's pretty much what they want to do. So, okay, so actually, like, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't heard. I knew that Wyoming is very, very like uh, progressive on everything crypto related. So they actually uh, bought a plot of land. You say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you know how it's being operated? I mean, the land itself is barren, right? It's somewhere in the mountains. So right. I think it's more for the formal recognition or it has some formal elements to it that you have some mm -hmm. territory where you have some regulatory leeway, right? I don't mm -hmm. think they're building things on there yet. I might be wrong, mm -hmm. but I think it's just to 
you know, get recognition as a certain university. Again, I'm not familiar with the details, but the I'm going to is, research that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, definitely the point is to... exactly like you said, you start with a community, you start with a DAO and you buy up real land in the real world. Do you feel like there's money making, for example, let's say we have a startup society that aims to be a network state and they're trying to generate certain benefits for their, uh, for their, uh, members of the startup society. Uh, you've mentioned that you are purchasing an apartment that is about that is being built right now. Do you feel like it's possible to perhaps create an apartment building? Or let's say like there is an apartment building project and the whole thing is, is being crowd found, funded by the DAO members. Yeah. I mean, we need to, when we talk about that, that's not necessarily something that's yet that exciting right i mean what would the difference be between a home ownership association or like a global hotel chain where you need to have a club membership to use it right mm -hmm. it gets interesting when you're really allowed to do your own governance when you're to some degree allowed to create your own rules and have some degree of autonomy right mm -hmm. i mean some of that you can already do right what's interesting about prosper specifically where i'm going to buy my apartment is that they have that legal autonomy where they can make their own rules. So that allows you also to do a business and with new and different rules. And so far, Prospera is the only of its kind, the zero to one case really, where all of it is possible. Kind of the final status of a network state is already fulfilled, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of others that come close to it, um, but I think Prospera is a couple of years ahead, but it's... Um, like it sounds a bit incredible sometimes when I talk about it to people and I didn't believe it when I heard the story, when I read about it, I read about Prospera on a Scott Alexander article. I realized really the extent to which what's happening here, how revolutionary it is when I came here, when I saw it for the first time, right? I mean, it's a beautiful island and they have their own, um, it's called the better building. It's like a co-working space. There's a couple of model units that they built. And they also recently acquired the neighboring golf resort with a couple of villas, a five-star restaurant and hotel and has their own private beaches, right? I'm right now hanging out in an office space in Pristine Bay, which is the neighboring golf resort that is owned by Prosper, right? So that's so interesting. How does the government of Honduras and I, and I think you touched on it at the beginning that how do they recognize Prospera as did they have to like amend their constitution to like say like okay this this is it sort of like an autonomous republic or so or so of of sorts like what are mm -hmm. the checks and balances there and uh, how safe is Prospera from like let's say there's someone who wants to like win mm -hmm. elections and 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 in Honduras and like change that yeah I mean it requires a whole another episode to talk about the full story. <laughs> But the short version of it is Prosper has a similar status or comparable status to Hong Kong or Dubai, right? So they have autonomy when it comes to business and civil laws, but not they don't have necessarily territorial sovereignty. They're part of the country of Honduras, right? Honduras, out of all places, developed the most innovative, the most broad-ranging possibilities for these special economic zones, right? Special economics exist, exist all around the world. There's thousands of them. Right, Shenzhen, China is another example. But Honduras specifically adopted a legislation that gives you a very large degree of autonomy with a very specific set of checks and balances. Nicholas, thanks so much. I know that we are running out of time. And if there's one thing that I've learned from this podcast is that the network state and startup societies, it's not necessarily about real estate. 
uh, or buildings, uh, buildings, real estate, or land. It's it's more about what are your rights as an organization? What is your legal entity status? And what can you achieve with that for the betterment of humanity? Nicholas, thanks so much. How can people find you and your organization? Well, in the podcast program where you're listening to this, you can type in Stranded Technologies Podcast, where you please follow my podcast. <laughs> I Absolutely. interview interesting guests that talk about the company-specific industries like healthcare, like education, like finance, and talk specifically about interesting insights on how better legal or regulatory frameworks how they impact business and innovation specifically. And also you can find me on Twitter, Niklas Hansinger, or go to infinitafunds.com. That's like infinity, just with an A instead of a Y, and fund.com and uh, join my Discord community. I will post all those links that you mentioned in the description of my podcast. Nicholas, thank you so much for being a guest on the pod. I hope you will come back to talk more about Network, network State. And we're only in the beginning of this whole uh, rev revolution worldwide. And uh, I'm very excited to see more to come. Thank you, sir. It's great fun. Thanks. <laughs>